Accessing library computer data. Level 9 authorization required. Command codes verified. Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Moms Going Boldly is two moms who love Star Trek and who also happen to have children on the autism spectrum. We talk about the new Star Trek Discovery TV series, as well as any autism issues we see along the way. I am your host, Elizabeth, and with me is my co-host, Vicki. Hi, I'm Vicki. We are Moms Going Boldly. And welcome back. This is Moms Going Boldly, and today we're going to talk about Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 6, Scavengers. Did you like this episode, Vicki? I did really like this episode. There was a lot going on. Just pure adventure. Yes, it was. I have to say, I haven't come up to an episode that I really didn't like. Obviously, I like some more than others, but I really did like this one. Yeah, and obviously there's elements that we may not be crazy about within the episodes, but I agree. I think they've all been very strong this season. Again, me being me, we have to go back to last week's episode (laughs) so people don't think I've totally lost my mind. Absolutely. I would be disappointed. <laughs> During my Voyager rewatch, and when I say rewatch, it's on and I'm doing other things. Yes. So the Delta Quadrant Ferengi episode that we talked about last week. Yes. Came on. Oh, yay. And if I were in the room, I would have skipped it because I tend to skip Ferengi episodes. <laughs> but I walked in the room and they were discussing it. So obviously, 25 years ago when I watched this episode, I probably did make the connection because yeah. they actually talked about it. So I couldn't yeah. have missed that. It's just that I tend to skip the Ferengi episode. So I haven't seen this episode in its entirety, probably in 25 years. Yeah. I've seen bits and pieces of it and apparently missed every time they talked about it. So what makes you skip Ferengi episodes? Ugh, I just find them silly most of the time. There are quite a lot of episodes I skip in my rewatches. I skip almost all Q episodes. <laughs> I skip almost all, and I'm not going to say her name wrong, Laxana. I skip almost all Troy episodes, Laxana Troy. And I skip almost all Ferengi episodes. Interesting. In Deep Space Nine, there are a few that I do like. The Magnificent Ferengi. Is that the one where they go to? Empok Noir. Yes. I love that one. Yeah, that one I do love. Usually I skip the ones with Wallace, Sean, and it's just too much of the voice. Ah. But, uh, you know, in TNG and Voyager, I tend to skip anything having to do with Ferengi. Yeah, and I think there's only the one... No, there's two Voyager episodes with Ferengi, if memory serves. The False Prophets one that we were just talking about, where we find what happened to Dr. Eridor and the other guy from right. the Barzan Warhol. And then there's the one where they, they sabotage the... Barkley hologram to try to kill the crew and get Seven's nano probes or whatever. Right, and there you yeah. have it. I skip Barkley episodes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you skip. <laughs> yes, I do. Now, isn't that funny? Because I like Barkley episodes. I like Loxana episodes. No, I can't. But I do understand skipping some of the Frankie episodes because sometimes they can be caricatures. Yes. And then then it's not so much fun. So when and I, I think one of the reasons I love Deep Space Nine is because they took the time to actually develop the Ferengi as three-dimensional characters. And yes. a lot of them as three-dimensional characters. Quark is a three-dimensional character. Rom is a three-dimensional character. Brunt, FCA, is a three-dimensional character. Yes. And in Deep Space Nine, I do watch more Ferengi episodes. I don't watch all of them, like I said, because if there's too much of Wallace Shawn. And I love Wallace Shawn. Love him. 
but the voice gets to me. Yeah, yeah. It's just oh, one I of those things. That. It's like, remember back in the days, people used to pass out when they heard Mary Hart's voice on what was that show? Entertainment Tonight or something. Oh, how funny. <laughs> so it's not him. It's just, it's me. The Mary Hart effect. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> but go so ahead. Anyway. Hi, just jumping in here quickly to clarify, in case it wasn't clear, that I am in no way making fun of anybody's voice. I love Wallace Shawn. I love him and every other thing he's done. He was a reoccurring character in Eureka and I loved him. It's just in DS9, whatever voice he's using, which yes is his, but is more exaggerated and more pronounced, I guess, bothers me. So it's not him, it's not his voice, it's the character's voice. Okay. Okay. Are you ready to talk about scavengers? Yes. Okay, good. Awesome. And I actually really like that episode of Voyager simply because it does tie up that loose end about um, the bars and wormhole. Though, I don't remember. Can you tell me? Because I was thinking about this after our last podcast. Why didn't Voyagers just hang out and wait for the wormhole to reappear? Because it has reappeared in that location a couple of times. I, I forget what the reason was that they didn't just hang out. I mean, because hanging out for a year or two at that location to wait for the wormhole would have taken less time than 75,000 years to cross the galaxy. Right. So, and do you I, remember why? I could be totally wrong because, like I said, I haven't watched that episode in its entirety. But I'm thinking because the other side showed up in different places. Was that? Okay. So the Barzan side stopped being fixed. Okay, yeah, you're right, because they're in the Delta Quadrant. I'm yeah. thinking of it in the reverse. Yeah, I'm not sure. Because I was just thinking, you know, the thoughts that you think when you're lying in bed trying to sleep. <laughs> Why didn't they just hang out there? They could have just hung out there for a couple of years and waited for the wormhole to show back up, and that would have been less time than moving on. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and I'm sure there was an explanation, and I just don't remember. I don't either. But like I said, you know, even when yeah. I walked into the room and saw them discussing it, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, so you did know that. And then I skipped it. (laughs) (laughs) Fast forward. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's talk about Scavengers, a wonderful adventure episode that also has some interpersonal stuff that was really cool. Yes. Um, So I liked it. There was a lot of great elements to this episode. So we start off this episode with a brief recap. And then we get what starts to sound like a captain's log, but it's really not. And again, I actually appreciated the creativity of bringing us up to date without being a captain's log. And that was Saru reporting to Admiral Vance in the presence of his fellow captains at sort of a captain's meeting. And I thought this is really cool. So we had the imagery of like what was happening, etc. But it was done through this mechanism of Saru's report. And so Saru's reporting that um, Discovery is being updated with 900 years in the future technology, which makes a lot of sense. Sure. Including, I'm going to just go ahead and say this. I love the detached nacelle thing. (laughs) I really think it's cool. (laughs) So maybe that makes me nuts, but I was really excited to see (laughs) the detached nacelle. I love that technology. It seems so creative and so versatile for storytelling. I was really excited about that. So Admiral Vance then turns around after Suru does his report. He turns around and starts giving out assignments. And they're assignments that are things that Starfleet would have handled in less than a 24-hour period. And it's going to take 
these captains a week or two weeks or a month to get to where they're going because they can't use their warp drive anymore because of the burn and the dilithium, etc. And Saru tries to say, you know, we can do this, but the Admiral says, we need you to be a rapid responder. And at that moment, then you learn that they're keeping the spore drive classified and that all these captains don't even know that they have a ship in the fleet that can respond instantaneously. I forgot that from the first time I watched it. So I was kind of surprised that they had no idea. Which I thought was a cool element to the story because then it sets up not only... It sets up the possibility that they could have an emerald chain traitor amongst them who will somehow sabotage the spore drive, reveal the presence of the spore drive, all these kinds of things. And it also then sets up for a scene sometime in the future where the Discovery comes rushing into the rescue in the middle of a battle, saving all these captains who thought that their cause was lost because they didn't immediately consider in their realm of resources this instantaneously responding starship right. so lots of story possibilities with this keeping it a secret keeping it classified i really kind of like that plus there is the threat of the emerald chain and they maybe i missed it but this whole emerald chain and osira things the threat seems to be really nebulous they don't really kind of go into what the actual threat is no they and you don't. just sort of, i guess assume that they're just evil and like fire on ships and stuff and are pirates they're like pirates right yeah we don't get an explanation until we finally meet them and i think do we really get an explanation at that point either you know what i don't remember and i think just the assumption is is that we're dealing with you know the captain barbosa of the federation yeah (laughs) so they need discovery to be ready because there's something happening on the planet argeth that may happen in 12 hours so discovery needs to hang around for 12 hours to be ready to go right in case there's an emergency There's a great scene where Lieutenant Willa is actually introducing all the bridge crew to their new technology. Yes. all attached to their comm badges. So they've got like a personal heads up display that'll pop up and like be their iPad for them and personal transporter and communicator and the whole nine yards, which I thought was kind of cool too. Yes. And the only one that is not impressed by it is Detmer. Yeah, Detmer does seem to be a little intimidated by it. Yes. Which I think, again, goes to her uncertainty in her ability to do her job. Right. Whereas Owo loves it. She says it feels smooth and cool like glass. And she thinks this interface that personalizes to her is so cool. And I think it's the moment that, and I was kind of watching this, that when Willa says that this programmable matter sort of scans the user and tracks the user, that's when Detmer gets nervous. Oh, okay. That's the way it looked like to me. And I and I could have misread that, but that's what it looked like to me. She was actually nervous that this stuff was going to be reporting on her well-being that she knows is still not 100%. Oh, yeah. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. That's kind of the feeling I got. Now, maybe I read more into it than that was there, maybe. I no, but that sounds kind of logical. Yeah, that didn't even occur to me. And it does kind of go with the same sort of theme that we've been seeing with Detmer. She doesn't want to go to sickbay. She doesn't want to be, you know, scanned. She doesn't want to talk to anybody. And even Admiral Vance, I think in the last episode, said that her readings are borderline unstable because she's so stressed. Yes, he did mention that, yeah. And then as they're going through all their equipment, they get word that they're being hailed. You know, and they they say that, well, the only people who could be here are people who know to come here. So let's go ahead and open up the hail. And they put it on screen 
and it's Grudge the Big Fat Cat. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. It was awesome. It's like like Grudge actually pushed the button to yeah. say, hey, I'm here. It was <laughs> fantastic. So they bring the, the ship into the secret hideout, the Federation secret hideout, and they discover that Book has sent the ship on autopilot because he has found a black box that is essentially the recording device for the ships. He found a black box from the burn that he wants to get for Michael. And he said he was going to get it at the Bozoran Exchange. And then he said, if something happens, I'll send this back automatically. So something must have happened because the ship has come back with grudge. Right. And so Michael says, we've got to go get him. She tries to talk to Screw. We need to go get this. We need this information in order to be able to solve the mystery of the burn. And we've got to rescue him. And Saru's like, nope, we've been ordered to stay here. Does he not really know her enough to know that she's going to go? Yeah. Except that I'm going to argue the other side of this because you're absolutely right. And of course she's going to go because otherwise you don't have an episode. But on the other hand, Saru is... A very trusting captain. He expects his crew to do what they're supposed to do. And so he approaches, I think, each scenario with his crew from that perspective. So even though he could say to himself, she might do this, he's going to say she's not going to do this because I'm ordering her not to. Right. But I mean, if you look back historically. Absolutely. And that, of course, is the reason I think why the the episode ends the way it ends, because he has now taken some of the history and drawn his conclusion. Yeah. And maybe he is too, you know, a little too naive or trusting or I don't know. Yeah. And once again, here's another character that I don't know what's happening to. Yeah. I mean, I know why it's happening, but it doesn't really need to. Agreed. Though, actually... You know, without it does giving get discussed a little bit at the end. So maybe we can we can circle back to this yeah. at the end because this is Saru being captain. And Saru has actually not really been captain so much. And this may be where Saru had flexibility when he wasn't captain that he doesn't have now. I'm just thinking off the top of my head. Let's circle back to this because there's a there's a line at the end of the episode that I think kind of t- speaks to this. And so maybe we can kind of yeah. brainstorm a little bit then. So, of course, Michael's going to go off on her own to go rescue Book and get the black box. And she, of course, elicits Giorgio, who says one of my favorite lines. I loved it the first time I saw it. And I loved it this time, which was, you had me at unsanctioned mission. Yeah. <laughs> so they go off and they go to this essentially this scrap yard it's just a it's a place where all of this scrap is being processed and made available for sale and they meet the orion in charge his name was tolor who is like lieutenant willa a two-dimensional unpleasant person and then Giorgio gets to go into full emperor mode with him <laughs> which is just so much fun to watch because she says bullies crumble like a cookie when they need a bigger one (laughs) (laughs) so she just runs roughshod all over him and she says another line that i really love is he's hemming and hawing about whether to allow her to come down form a sentence (laughs) so he lets her come down because she essentially just really like i said runs roughshod over him bigger bully than he is and they get down to this scavenger yard and they say that they want all this really old tech and so he leads them to a place to find the really old tech and Giorgio's doing a great job of picking him for information using this intimidation factor that she's got to just draw little bits of information out of him which is awesome they find book burnham manages to get a moment alone with him he says i've got the black box don't worry about us just leave you didn't have to come you can see that oh dear the chemistry is now ticking like crazy there's all kinds of chemistry going on here so she says i'm gonna do a breakout and we're gonna plan a breakout and we're gonna get ready to do this breakout 
Meanwhile, on Discovery, we've got a couple of things going on. We check in with Adira, who is still having conversations with Gray, who's telling her that she's all work and no play. Mm-hmm. She needs to get out and make some friends. And can we make a new memory? Like he's accessing her memories too. I thought that was a very interesting framework to show how he's connected to her. And she has an interaction with Stamets where she's changed the interface to the spore drive. And Stamets is completely mellow about it. I thought that was so bizarre, considering what an asshole he was to Tilly the week before. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I'm going to be an asshole to Tilly when she's hypothesizing we might use, you know, dark matter to help us. And now you go ahead and touch my equipment and I'm okay with it. (laughs) So I'm kind of with you on that. They're not sure what they're doing with their writers. Or maybe last week's catharsis has settled him back down into the more mellow character that we learned to appreciate in the previous. Yeah, that's the way I'm going to take it. So we'll run with that. Yeah. We're going to pause right here for a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, Doug Gramley here from Yeah, That Can't Be Good. Doug here from the 13th Warehouse. If you are a fan of Eureka, please join Kim, Vicky, Skip, and myself over at Yeah, That Can't Be Good for an episode-by-episode podcast of all things Eureka at EurekaRewatch.com. If you're a fan of Warehouse 13, please join Kim and Vicky over at the 13th Warehouse at the13thwarehouse.com. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us on Twitter at Eureka Warehouse. And we're back. We also have Saru coming to talk to Tilly. And I really, really like this scene because he's like, do you know what happened with Burnham? And she's like, nope, she left grudge in my quarters and she's gone and he was like what do you think i should do and she's like you need to tell the admiral she's undermined you she undermined all of us and i thought it was a brilliant scene for tilly why is this woman still an ensign right and i i like the part about tilly but coming from an hr point of view which is the point of view i always take it's totally inappropriate for saru to discuss this with tilly uh yes i had the same thought I need to talk this with you. And I'm like, ooh, no, 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 no. She's your subordinate. (laughs) Exactly. I could see him asking Tilly, where is Burnham? Yeah. I could see that. But going into detail about how he doesn't trust her and, you know, that's like a manager talking to an employee about another employee. And I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier is that Saru still has a lot to learn about being a captain. Yes. It was one thing when he wasn't captain and he could touch in with the rest of the crew on a regular basis and have conversations like this because it was appropriate for the role. But now he's not. Right. Yeah, I agree. But she's also really right in what she says. Absolutely. And this is why I like the scene. You need to tell the Admiral because you don't want him hearing about it from somebody else. Yeah. And it's funny that that didn't occur to Saru. Yeah. So I'm wondering if they're going to touch on that later to some degree. Yeah. So anyway. So then we go back to the planet where they've got this breakout all set up. And the breakout has to take place in something like 30 minutes. Right. Because there's going to be a shift change and then they're going to lose access to everybody. And so uh, Tolor, is that his name? Tolor. They get onto Book's ship. Tolor discovers the dilithium. He's like, aha, I got your dilithium now. You can't threaten me anymore. And Michael Burnham's like, yeah, you know what? Um, if you kill us without hearing how we got the dilithium, I guarantee Osiris is going to kill you. And then the next thing you know, there's a great fight. And in the middle of this fight, we lose Giorgio. She is caught in some kind of vision. We don't know what. And this is the second time she's been to have this vision during this episode. Something about San. And somebody's been stabbed and there's blood on her hands. Right. Or on someone's hands. But I'm assuming it's Giorgio's Yeah, hands. I saw my, yeah. So she's having some kind of vision. We don't know if it's a memory 
We don't know if it's something else pushing in. But this started after she talked to the man with the big glasses. Mm-hmm. His name I can't remember. And so it almost causes catastrophe because she's out for the count while Burnham is fighting Tolor. And the prisoners who are trying to escape are waiting for them to knock down the force field that would otherwise kill them. And they're being hunted by the rest of the Andorian guards. And it's all looking really bad. And then Giorgio comes out of it. And just as she's going to try to, I don't know, was she going to kill Torlor or just cause him pain? He beams out. Oh, and I should mention that he kills one of the prisoners using that force field. So we know the force field is lethal. Yeah, that was horrible. Yes. <laughs> and, I, and I call it the requisite bully scene so that we know that he's a bad guy. And so that, because if I remember correctly, Osiris is not happy with him after this episode. True. And that then his ultimate demise is justifiable because he's a bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. So it sets up, uh, sets us up for that. And again, two-dimensional, you know, there's, this guy has no subtlety. (laughs) Yeah. Which is one of the reasons why Giorgio can just like run roughshod all over him because he isn't subtle. He's just sort of like a bad. Right. And that's all there is to it. There, that's all there is to it. So they're able to lower the force field. They're able to save all the prisoners, including an Andorian named Rin, and get them back on the ship, rescue them, get them on a transport ship, and happy day. And she's got the black box in hand. Um, and so, but, but this is not the end of this episode. So the episode is, while it's uh, the bulk of this episode is about this adventure at the scavenger yard with the emerald chain there's actually a lot more that wraps it up at the end which i really actually really liked one of the things that we get to see is we get to see stamets come and sit with adira yes and adira confesses to him that she's actually talking with her boyfriend gray i thought it was a really lovely scene where stamets completely validated her it was fantastic yeah Um, just said, you know what? I don't think you're crazy. I think this is absolutely possible, and I fully respect this of you. And then Grace says he likes him, and so there's there's the connection there, which is really nice. And later in their quarters, um, you know, Culber and Stamets talk about it, and it's it's clear that there's some affection bet- developing there. Oh, absolutely. He said something oh. about, I never aspired to be a tween confidant or something like that. <laughs> so I thought tweens were like 11 and 12. Right, I know. But he did say tween. So we also see that Michael has to go face music now. Yeah. She's in the Turbolith talking to Book about it. And, you know, he's like, you didn't have to come get me. And she's like, yes, I did. And then and then it happens. The smooch. Smooching in the Turbolift. Right. But they were together for a year. Apparently being apart is necessary for smooching in the turbo. I guess. And maybe she was just too focused on finding discovery to allow herself to relax into a relationship. That's true. That's true. So now she's got discovery. Now she knows where, you know, where she's supposed to be. And so now she can actually go ahead and acknowledge those feelings for book. I will say that I enjoyed, there was a um, comic relief theme throughout this episode with regard to one of the characters named Linus. I wrote that down too. Yeah. Linus. was not sure how to use his personal transporter. And so he kept sort of popping into the scene yeah. here and there at, at funny moments. Yeah. And it really worked well. And he popped into the turbo lift just before they were going to 
smooch and so i wrote down kiss interrupted yeah <laughs> um and then vanished again and then there was the smooch and then we get to see a really good scene i really like this scene with admiral vance and saru and burnham and this is the scene that i want to talk about saru again in because admiral vance is understandably really unhappy yes about michael burnham's insubordination but he starts off by saying to saru this was important and you could have gotten very important intel and it was wrong of you to dismiss her proposal to go get this black box information out of hand because of my orders. In other words, you should have brought this to me so that I could make this decision. Exactly. And I thought that was a really good point. You know, Saru has been operating in a vacuum and being essentially the highest level of authority in Starfleet for a very long time until they found Starfleet. Right. And he has to retrain himself to stop doing that. Exactly. You know, as Michael says, finding the cause of the burn could change everything. Yeah. And she said, if they don't, there may be no more Starfleet. Absolutely. And so, and Admiral Vance recognizes that. So what we're seeing here is a Saru who's really unclear about the job responsibilities, or at least needs a little bit more clarification as to what those lines look like. Right. So when, when to take it to the Admiral, when to, to decide on his own. And that's, those are tough decisions for any leader. So that's not out of the ordinary. Exactly. But again, they are trying to find the cause of the burn. I know Vance thinks that they don't have the time to spend on that. Right. But, you know, what Burnham says makes total sense. They should be spending the time on that. And I appreciate her focus on pulling the Federation back together. I mean, that that personal mission is is a valid one. Right. So, but how she went about it wasn't so great. So no. I love how he says to her, what am I going to say? And then she go, talks about all the things she did wrong, which was really awesome. Yes. I really appreciated that scene. I did. I liked that too. Yeah. No. So Vance leaves it in Saru's hand as to what he's going to do. And Saru relieves her of duty as his first officer. And she tells him he did the right thing. Yeah. And he did. And he even says that he knew she was apprehensive. Yes. So he shouldn't have made that decision to begin with. Yeah. So he's learned a lot of things. And Saru, you know, goes through some painful learning and growth experiences in this episode yes and they're all very subtle subtle lessons difficult lessons about how to be a captain yes so we end the episode with burnham back as chief science officer and then she takes off her combat why does she why do you think she does that i don't know the last scene before the end of the episode she takes off her combat i don't know are there com badges specific to their rank? Which is the that's only thing question. I could... I don't know why she did that, and that's the only thing I could think of. Now, maybe there's another that explanation. That is a really good thing. I am actually going to go and <laughs> qu- query the Google. entirely possible i think we should check the next episode take a look at the com badges and see because that actually makes a lot of sense yeah because i can't think of any other reason is there any other rank insignia i thought the rank insignia were on their their shoulders though yeah that's what i mean i don't know you know unless at this moment she decided to resign what other reason would there be and does she resign i can't remember (laughs) to be honest with you yeah (laughs) see when i i watched this a year ago i wasn't watching it for a podcast So I was watching it and I'm on my phone and I'm not paying 100% attention. So there's things that I don't remember. 
See, I'm now looking at images to see if I can see if there's rank insignia on these uniforms, or if you're right, it actually is you, you pull the rank off of the combat, because that really makes a lot of sense. Okay, so I've got a picture here of the Admiral who does have rag insignia on his shoulder. And um, now I'm looking at a picture of Burnham. She's got cords around her shoulder. So not across her shoulder, but like going under the arm. That might be rank insignia. Let me look and see if there's something different for other. Okay, here's Owo. No, she's got the same number of cords. And I don't see the rank, you know, like on the collar. Right. So actually, maybe yes. I have a picture here where it looks like the comm badges are different colors. Oh, okay. Jetmary appears to be gold. Owo's appears to be silver. And one of the other guys whose name I can't remember, his actually appears to have like it's not a solid color. Like it's silver, but the bottom of it isn't solid. Remember like they used to do with the pips on the collar? Right, right. Like have a black dot instead of being solid gold? Yes. So it may be that you're exactly right here. So there we go. Maybe. Yeah, I can't think of any other reason. (laughs) So anyway, that is the end of the episode. An episode which I think works really, really well. Yes, it does. Any other thoughts about it? Yeah, just some... Oh, uh, oh go ahead. Were you going to say something? No, I was going to say, oh, I did forget another line that I really enjoyed, which is when uh, Tilly came into her, her quarters and discovered Grudge and can't find Burnham anywhere on the ship and says to Grudge, did, did you eat her? <laughs> <laughs> right. Wonderful. <laughs> Back to when we go to the junkyard. When they first went in, Burnham asks for self-sealing stem bolts. And I have to imagine that's another shout out to Nog in Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Um, and I did have to look up the name of the episode. But it's from the episode Progress when Nog and Jake try to sell a shipment of Yamak sauce. And somewhere along the way end up with self-sealing stem bolts. And I mean, that's a good, that was a good one. And because I watched the seventh rule, they talked about this a lot. They had to do take after take of this scene because neither one of them could say self-sealing stem bolts. <laughs> So much so that eventually the director got really upset and yelled, this is why I can't stand working with kids. And at that point, Aaron Eisenberg pointed out that he was 23. Yeah. But anyway, it's become kind of a Star Trek joke. Yes. Because it's never been determined what they were or what they could be used for. And then just because I've always loved this episode, because in this episode, Nog is the one coming up with the schemes and Jake is trying to rein him in as opposed to much later in the series when nog is starfleet and jake goes off the rails to get the baseball card the baseball card and that was a good episode and nog is the one trying to rein him in yes i love that yeah the the flip side yes yes and then old news but i'm gonna say it here in case somebody's watching for the first time this is where we meet rin and the actor noah averback katz is mary wiseman's husband Okay, so here you go, my friend. I did not learn that until today. (laughs) So I am your target audience. Because you know me, I don't pay attention to the to the actors that often. Yeah. So that would be me. I would be one of those people who did. <laughs> and I, I did know just before we started talking. So I did learn that today. And I was going to raise the same thing because I, I actually finally had it, that kind of information to work with. I don't usually. <laughs> oh, sorry. I, no, no, no. I'm just saying I'm your target audience because that's me. <laughs> So there we go. So now we know that Burnham and Book are going to get together. So she's she's gained a book, but she's lost her job. Yeah. 
So the mysteries that we're left with at the end of this episode is we still don't know what happened to Burnham's mom. Right. We still don't know what caused the burn. Right. We still don't know the source of the mystery music. True. And we still don't know what's causing Giorgio's debilitating visions. Right. Did I miss anything else? Is no. there any Oh, and we don't actually know what the heck Osiris' problem is. We just know she's bad. Yeah. Osiris equals bad. Right. And we don't know why Grey is appearing. Oh, and we don't know why Grey is appearing. So we got lots of mysteries to yeah. work with. Oh, very good. Well, maybe we'll have some of those mysteries solved in the next episode. Hopefully. Which is entitled Unification 3, which is a callback to the two-part Next Generation episode, Unification 1 and Unification 2, where the Enterprise is called to investigate why Ambassador Spock has been spotted on Romulus. Right. And... Um, that was a good episode because I believe Unification um, aired shortly, if not immediately, after the death of Gene Roddenberry. I seem to recall that it said for Gene. Oh, okay. Somewhere in one of those episodes. Um, it's also the episode where Spock's dad, Sarek, passes away. Right. Not the actor, but the character. Right. And we get a great deal of um, fun interaction with Spock and Captain Picard. Right. And it's also an episode where there was this really fun error in the filming. They have since cleaned it up, so it's kind of disappointing. But I don't know if you knew, of, in the, almost one of the last scenes, you could actually see the reflection of somebody on the crew in one of the pieces of art in oh, the Romulan no. office. I yeah, never knew that. They've cleaned it up. They they made a go away now, so you can't find it anymore. But it was a long time. It was a lot of fun to see it. Yeah, it was uh, in uh, Sela's office, uh, Tasha Yar's daughter. She had this great big piece of uh, like sculpture that was essentially faceted glass. And as Spock and Data and Picard are leading her off after they did the Vulcan neck pinch on her and she's unconscious, camera pans and you can see the reflection of someone's face on the crew. Oh, I didn't know that. Anyway, so uh, that's it. Is there anything else we should talk about with regard to scavengers? No, I don't think so. I think we covered it. Perfect. Well, then we look forward to talking next time when we talk about the next episode, episode seven in season three, Unification. Okay. We'll talk soon. All right. See you later. You can continue exploring the universe with Moms Going Boldly by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash momsgoingboldly and on Twitter at Moms Going Boldly. The music used on Moms Going Boldly is Without Limits by Ross Bugden Music. On Twitter, at Ross Bugden. Licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license, creativecommons.org. You can listen to Moms Going Boldly on Podbean, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Player FM. And we're now also available on Apple Podcasts. Transfer complete.